guess grief is what we feel when we lose something. It is often deep pain, but it, it can be sometimes relief. It can be guilt, it can be anger, but it is that response to loss. And in this case, you know, loss of a parent or loss of someone that I love, but it could be loss of, you know, a relationship, a pet, a home, a job, even the ideal of something. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am really really excited truthfully to bring you the interview today with Dr. Lisa Myers. Before I introduce Dr. Lisa, I do want to offer a trigger warning for those of you who might feel uncomfortable or that now is not the right time to be engaging in an interview where wisdom around the grief process is offered specifically in relationship to a loss, to a death of someone um, very close particularly those of you who might not feel at this moment in time that it is in your best interests emotionally to be hearing inference of um, such a loss, please, please take care of yourself. Lisa, so beautifully, vulnerably, and I think, you know, in, in this authentic way offers us an opportunity to see ourselves and her story. She really offers us this connection. So if that is feeling useful and healthful for you, and you decide to listen, if at some point it no longer feels like it is in your best interest to keep listening, please, of course, pause, take breathers, do what you need to do to take care of yourself, to keep yourself safe. Lisa offers wonderful words of wisdom around self-kindness and compassion. And I think that that exercise of figuring out, as she says, what works in this moment will very much be in the vein of what she is offering in this episode. So do what works, take the space that you may need and go slow. If that, if that feels in alignment. This episode will always be here, so you can always come back if, when it feels like the time is right. So as I mentioned, Dr. Lisa Myers is a author. She's a child, adolescent, and general adult psychiatrist with 20 years experience in mental health. She obtained her medical and psychiatric degrees in South Africa before she moved to Australia in 2009, where she then completed child adolescent advanced training. She's worked in various mental health settings and currently runs a first of its kind holistic practice in Bondi Junction, where she incorporates a range of services to support her clients' health and well-being. She's developed an online parenting course and has recently published her first book, which you're going to hear a lot about, called When the Light Goes Out. In this book, Lisa shares her personal and professional insights for managing trauma, loss, and grief. Lisa is passionate about supporting clients in need and providing quality mental health services. As a mental health advocate and educator, she knows the importance of providing accurate and considered information to clients. She is the mother of two teenage daughters, and when 
not at work. She enjoys exercising yoga and spending time with her family and friends. So I am so excited to introduce you to Lisa now. Like I said, it is a real, it's a raw conversation. And if it feels, if it feels helpful for you right now, please, please join us. Let me introduce you to Lisa. Dr. Lisa Myers, welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. I am so delighted to get this space to sit together today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And, you know, the timing was really beautiful because I saw, you know, a, a colleague who had mentioned about your book, you know, the um, wonderful book you have coming out when the lights go out. And in my mind, I was already thinking, you know, something that is missing on Wisdom for All Being is a conversation around grief. And that was something that listeners had actually advocated for in a polling I did recently too. And then I, you know, I connected on Instagram. So listeners, if you're kind of figuring out where you should connect with Lisa, it was on Instagram. I went Mm. over and you offer so many resources more broadly, but I think, you know, as listeners will hear more about as our conversation goes on, on what's so beautiful about your sharing is that you are a trained psychiatrist. You know, you're so skilled in supporting people through mental health challenges. And you're also, you know, an incredibly introspective and reflective individual whose willingness to be vulnerable and share their own journey, I think teaches so much as well. Mm. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Caitlin. I think, um, you know, that was, that was always what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to write a book for a long time, particularly because there is such a need for mental health services. But as you would know, there's also such a lack of resources, particularly at the moment. And I wanted to be able to share as much as I could with more people, which is really difficult when you're in an office seeing somebody one-on-one and a book felt like a way in which I could really disseminate some of this information that I was frustrated. I couldn't, I couldn't share it with more people. And um, I guess looking back, I had no idea really what I was going to talk about. I was just going to share a lot of very I suppose, normal things that happen in people's lives, having a child struggling with postnatal issues, um, having marriage breakdown, um, moving countries, just kind of, I suppose, everyday things. But they were things I had experienced and I had the luxury of therapy. I'd had the luxury of my profession to kind of know how to steer those things, or or at least I learned along the way how to steer those things. And so I really wanted to talk about that. And um, I suppose life doesn't always go to plan. And um, so when I just started the book project, I lost my father and I wasn't expecting that. And that sort of steered then the direction of my book because I guess, grief or or loss just completely, ironically, throws life on its head. And I had to 
just really kind of recalibrate and and so the book became really about that event in my life and and how I processed all of that it's I think really um indicative of the process of grief right like that in a way like your life becomes about the grief in those moments so if you're in the midst of another project like a book like it makes sense that Mm. that would become very much the the anchor and the the focus point and the processing Lisa you gave away a few points about you will come back to to dive Mm. deeper into this process but you know you'd mentioned um you know uh children, you know, postnatal sort of challenges, partnerships, uh, immigration, you know, traveling, moving, moving countries and the Mm. likes. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about who you are for listeners who might not be piecing that together as, you know, real elements of, of your thread? Sure. And, and so I actually talk about a lot of these things in the book because just, um, I suppose not only is, is losing someone a loss, but, you know, going through all those things that that I had in my life, they are really essentially forms of trauma and loss, and they are moments that you need to grieve. So I suppose I originally had grown up in South Africa, and I studied medicine there, and I studied psychiatry there, and then I moved over here with my family, um, one child, one child on the way, um, in 2009 and I had to requalify and and um, I did and I started working here and had a second child and then um, did my training in in child psychiatry and have yeah I suppose always worked in mental health um, since 2003 so I talk a little bit about you know all those various things um, in in the book as well so I guess a lot of a lot of sharing, which is is not I, I suppose the norm and, and you would know working in this profession, it sort of is not the done thing. So I'm yet to sort of see how that's received, but it it kind of felt true to myself without being unprofessional. Yeah. I just wanted to be vulnerable. I wanted to be real, but mostly I just wanted people to know that we're all the same. We all go through things. And I suppose people look at me and think, you know, you have it all together. And and in many ways I do, but there is that I don't. And there are times that I don't, but I feel like having, having the knowledge, having the supports, having the willingness to actually even own up to it just makes it all so much easier and doable. Thank And thank you for both that and for the book, because I, I think also in our professions, right, we talk about um, therapeutic disclosures, you know, this idea of sharing mm. where it might be therapeutic. And I think mm. you, you're right, you know, from the outside, we would go, well, you know, you've got it all together. What, what could you be struggling with? You know, we feel like we're the only mess inside and feeling like we're somehow different in our struggles is what 
certainly creates the conditions for shame mm. breeding. So w- exactly. when we kind of look and go, oh, well, someone else has struggled too. And someone who has all the skills. So as a psychiatrist, you know, you're so trained to support people in mental health. Mm. How, how did that kind of impact your experience navigating, you know, your own mental health challenges? Like did it in any way prepare you or, or how was that, that thread? I think it prepared me. I mean, I think, you know, when we, when we handle things, probably, you know, we bring ourselves to it, our temperament. And um, I suppose who I'd always kind of been within my own family um, and who I am in my work, you know, I, I think that helped me a lot. Um, But I was aware of my limitations. I was definitely aware of my limitations and I sought help. I'd always actually had therapy over the years. I started therapy when I started training in psychiatry. So I'd had therapy all the years and I actually stopped about a year before my dad died because I I suppose I felt, you know, I had done a lot of work. I was self-managing. I was really too busy. And um, when that happened, actually, one of the first phone calls, you know, was to my to my therapist to say, I'm going to South Africa to bury my dad. And when I come back, I'm coming back to see you. Actually, initially, I I had chosen to see somebody else, which was interesting because I think I was um, projecting the fact that, you know, my life wasn't wasn't going the way I wanted and I think I needed needed something or someone to kind of blame and I soon realized after one session uh, it just wasn't right and I went back to my therapist and and that really helped and then of course I began writing and that really helped me a lot And you share a bit about, you know, the projections in the book, like you're able to use, you know, your clinical lens to even understand some of the patterns of behavior that we do in these times of struggle, Mm. you know, kind of witnessing it in yourself and, and, you know, share shedding literally the light on that. I mean, the book I think Mm. is really useful for those um, of us who might not have those experiences or might not have that conceptualization to kind of anchor to as we navigate. Exactly. I mean, I was, I mean, obviously not everyone's read the book, but but I wasn't sure what had happened with my father. No one was. And so there were a lot of question marks and it brought up so much shame, so much shame. I'd grown up with shame. I mean, it's all there in the book. I'd grown up feeling kind of shameful and different. It was due to, you know, where we lived, who we were, you know, in South Africa. And, um, And then my father died under these sort of, I guess, strange circumstances that just really brought all of that to the boil. And I think a lot of my first reactions were very defended, were very um, defending of my shame. I, I wanted to make it, you know, I didn't want... I didn't want him to look bad. I didn't want our family to look bad. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of anger. There was probably a lot of pointing of fingers and, um, you know, I suppose that's what happens, but it just by, I guess, processing and processing and obviously understanding that 
I could look at it and I guess just make peace with all of that and, and own what I needed to own. And a lot of this book project for me was finally, I mean, even thinking that as I'm talking here, just so letting go of years of shame. And I think we carry so much shame as humans and it stops us from reaching out it stops us from living our lives and it's just so sad and so I just needed to cut the shackles of shame that's so powerfully said to cut the shackles of shame and Mm. yeah to to kind of cut that so that you can go and so that you can live and and you know explore and unfold into your life so Mm. in the book you describe trauma and grief would you mind just for listeners differentiating those two because they can come together can't they but they are different experiences of course of course so obviously trauma is such a broad spectrum but if we if we think of trauma as trauma I mean any experience that that is traumatic is really a form of trauma and it it creates certain responses within us um I guess, physical responses, but also psychological and emotional responses. And I guess grief is what we feel when we lose something. It is often deep pain, but it it can be sometimes relief. It can Mm -hmm. be guilt. It can be anger. But it is that response to loss. And in this case, you know, loss of a parent or loss of someone that I love, but it could be loss of, you know, a relationship, a pet, a home, a job. I guess I I try and highlight that through the book, through some other client stories as well, and, yeah. and also my own stories is that when we lose something, even the ideal of something, mm. we go through the grief process. We have feelings associated with that and sometimes many feelings. And the grief process is not straightforward. You know, you beautifully describe it in the book as the waves. Could you share a little bit more about what the grief mm. process is for us? Mm. Well, I think it would be different for everyone, um, depending obviously on, on the loss. And if we're just talking about losses and death, I think it would depend on how that happens, um, whether it's expected or not. Um what the relationship is like with a person and what it's been like over the years or um and I suppose what I really didn't realize was just how much grief resembled depression particularly once I'd sort of got over the initial shock it was that I was just so depressed Mm -hmm. yet I wasn't always depressed you know I would wake up in the morning and and just feel like, I just don't want to do this. And, you know, I'd known about depression. People came to me to talk about depression. And for the first time, I was like, okay, like, this is what it feels like. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get out of bed. I, I, I know things are good in my life, but I'm just not enjoying it. I don't want to, I just, you know, there was just, just this, this is like, I don't know, I suppose that nothingness or that black cloud, it just, it just was, something was just gone. And I really felt that yet there were times in the day, as time went on, that I was okay. You know, I'd almost sometimes, not in the beginning, but eventually, just almost like, 
forget. I'd get on with the day. But even now, there are times I, you know, the first time I got print book and I opened up, you know, and I have to see, you know, my writing. It just, it just brings up so much emotion. So I guess, you know, it, it comes and it goes. But um, sometimes I'm happy for that because it's, it's just, it means it's still there. It's the connection. So it's okay. Can you tell me about that? Because that's a really interesting lens and framework to kind of have, you know, grief arise and be like, oh, you know, like it's clearly uncomfortable and painful. And yet it's reminding you of a connection, which sounds really sacred. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess I often thought about that time when like, I had just lost my dad and I'd just come back into my life. How it was a feeling I don't, I mean, I'd never had before where it just, I felt like nothing really mattered. I felt so connected just to people and to what we are as people, you know, and um, it was just, just something so raw and, and so real. And I remember thinking, I don't want to lose this feeling, but I kind of knew I was going to lose this feeling. I knew I would just get back into normal life and life would just carry on. And I remember thinking, I wish I could have this feeling. I wish I could bottle this or share it with people, but not have to go through the pain to get it. But I suppose anything that's really that good has to, has to come through something hard. And I just... So I suppose I worried, like, am I forgetting, you know, my dad or, or is this just disappearing? Do I not care? Or like just all these things. So anytime I was or am able to feel it, it's just, I, I guess, a sense that it's still there, you know, and I'm, I'm still very much connected to it. So, you know, and I think I've, 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 I don't know, maybe it's age or, 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 or what, but just feeling so comfortable just to feel all these things. And yeah, it's quite liberating. And I think realizing you can feel, but you can be okay too, is, is really a good place. So there's like the sense that you've got that, that space to be able to have these feelings, to be able to like experience grief, sorrow, like the suffering of life mm-hmm. and that that's okay too. Mm. Mm. and you know what I think I'd grown up really in a family where there's a lot of mental health around in a sense whether it was kind of known as that or not but our family was always very much okay with emotion and Mm. I think that's something really um, valuable being in a family where it's okay and I suppose you like me would see many people who say you know in our families we just don't talk about things or we just don't show feelings or and it's I always think that must be such a hard space to be in because you know I'd see my dad cry I'd see my mom cry you know and I even say to clients I love a good cry it's like the best and um, it just was okay but it never meant it never meant we weren't okay. We were allowed to have feelings. And 
I, I mean, I never even realized it at the time, obviously, but I'm really grateful for that, you know, that my parents made it okay for us. You were allowed to fall apart. In fact, many, many times it was falling apart, but I think that's what makes you kind of okay. Yeah. So to fall apart, to be okay, like for it to be okay mm. to, to have that sense of being human. <laughs> yeah. Being human, we unravel at times, but I think when you can own it, when you can notice it, when you can have the right supports around you and you don't have to feel shameful about it, then you manage it. Because I guess what I often say to people is, I don't see that as me. Like I I suppose I know who I am and 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 these are just these are just sort of the things that I go through or or you know, as I say, it's like the bags that we carry, um, but it's it's not us. And once you sort of make peace, I think, with that, then you're okay to sort of show your different faces and your different feelings, and it's okay. It doesn't define me. Yeah, that's really beautiful, like in terms of people feeling like, okay, if I can kind of connect to this sense I have of myself, then these waves of emotion experiences, they're not essentially overriding one sense of self, which maybe is part of the fear or the shame that we are, Mm. you know, we are those Mm. experiences. Mm. You mentioned something earlier that writing was really a part of your grieving process um, and your processing by the sounds for listeners who are kind of maybe in a place of grief or, you know, at, at some point may, maybe in that place, do you have any, I guess, words of wisdom, like would writing be an appropriate place for them to start? Are there other strategies that you would recommend in navigating the grieving process? Mm. writing is very helpful and I was very lucky to find um, Joanne Fedler who mentored me through the book process and actually um, does offer writing courses and stuff and I you know as it was sort of fortuitous that I found her I don't think when when she got my first draft of the book she she kind of realized what she was in for and that it was just you know she she, she got it and and then she said to me on our first phone call, she said, um, you know, along the lines of, you need to process this. Like, you cannot put this out there. And I guess, you know, just like when somebody comes to sit in front of me, I can sort of see where they're at and where they need to go. I think Joanne could see where I was at and where I needed to go. But I needed to process. And so we began this journey of just meeting once a month and I'd go away and rewrite and I'd you know and we'd talk about it and I guess in a way it was it was a therapy process but it was processing Mm -hmm. I was processing the layers and I suppose as we said you know grief is different for everyone for me in the beginning there was a lot of trauma so I really needed to I almost feel like the past four years has been processing the trauma that I now have the space to be sad to grieve I needed to clear all of that and I needed to feel I was doing something I felt so powerless in the process this just you know was I mean it just no one saw it coming and there was just so much trauma attached and 
just had to get through that. I had to feel useful. I had to do something. I'd always done things and I needed to do something and make sense of what had happened. Mm -hmm. And that was my process. I was just trying to make sense of things and um, just really clear, clear the way for me to actually get to a place of, of being sad, of, of acknowledging that this was just a loss. Um, so I think writing, but I, I suppose processing, whether it's talking, I think it's important to talk and talk at any time. Um, I think, you know, it, it brings those, those, those things to life, but also gives us a chance just to work things through because as I said there's depending on the relationship you've had there's just so much to work through and it's also confronting and it takes time it takes time and I think the other thing is it's such a personal journey mm -hmm. it's like you lose this person or you lose somebody and, and everyone's really sad and everyone rallies around you but then life goes on and your life is changed. Your life has changed and is not just carrying on. And I think that's sometimes really hard. You feel a bit alone and a bit isolated. So it's important to talk and often to talk to people who understand the experience. I felt actually quite embarrassed because I'd had parents, parents I'd had friends or, or, or clients who'd lost parents. Um, and I just don't think I ever understood the magnitude of loss um, to that extent. And I guess now people come in, they're like, oh, my dog died and I, you know, but it's nothing. I'm like, no, 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 it's not nothing. It's not nothing. You yeah. know, show me the photos. I want to see the dog. Like we need to take some time with this. It's a bit, you know. It's like you understand. It's carved out these like depths of empathy, hasn't it? Completely, completely. So talking, processing, whether it's support groups, whether it's through religion or yeah. whatever works really is what I say. But just knowing it's, it's a journey and it takes time and it never really goes away. It just becomes a little bit easier. Yeah, so it shifts. And you just sort of describe that, you know, the writing, the processing work in oneself, but you really highlight there talking, you know, that being in connection and mm -hmm. and community, mm -hmm. like that being seen. You also mentioned your trauma symptoms, which you know, you describe in the book, they're very physiological, like they're really embodied experiences. Mm -hmm. How did you work through those? Like that would likely have been like a slightly different process than just the talking and the reflecting. Did you do, you know, other forms of therapy, body-based work? How did you navigate the trauma side? Look, I, I think for me, it's really being able to know that it was that. Yeah. Okay. And allowing myself to kind of, I suppose I had some of these tools and I wasn't really afraid so much of the I knew it was that like um, at times it was extremely overwhelming I remember sitting at a dinner one night and the dinner conversation started to move towards talking about 
a show where I, I'm not sure they were, they were talking about bodies being in, and it and I just felt myself go like completely dissociate and again these were things I had like heard and I could just feel it happening like I just thought I need to just excuse myself because I just like felt myself kind of like going just out of this conversation it was like I just you know and um feeling very emotional and I just needed to take myself and I got up and sort of went to the bathroom and just cried and 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 then I was like I could I could go home now and I was just sort of like thinking through no no just calm calm this is okay you'll be okay you'll be okay you know and just breathing and and kind of got myself back so I think knowing what it was being able to name things and then just sitting with them as you would probably do in a therapy just getting myself okay with those feelings over time made it a little bit easier to manage I mean there always still be odd moments and certain things um will always just sort of stick out to me I start the book talking about you know how I'd walked into a shop one day and I saw a box cutter and I don't think I'll ever look at a box cutter in my life um very easily you know it just even makes me sort of feel very emotional but you know I suppose that's that's to be expected but I think it just makes you realize more so because these are things we deal with every single day when we're talking to people and I think sometimes can be I speak for myself you know kind of like maybe a bit flippant in how easy easy it is to say you know it'll be okay I think sometimes some things will not be okay but maybe that's also okay and just being a little bit more understanding but yeah just a bit more also and kind kind to oneself I suppose with those things and you do we don't have to be okay with everything yeah that's uh, that's really beautiful that maybe it's part of the being okay is being okay with not being okay at times and with not being okay with Mm. certain situations and things and you know where where it's not necessary really stepping back from those areas rather than than forcing ourselves you also describe this absolutely yeah, the journey of self-kindness, self-compassion in your book as well, and, and how you cultivate and, and find find your way there. I wonder mm. if maybe as we start to tie threads together, obviously, listeners, you kind of are already aware you need to get your hands on, on Lisa's book when the light goes out, but would you be able to offer listeners I guess an exercise, a practice, maybe a, a final word of wisdom on on what they might be able to do if they are struggling right now with, you know, everyone, as you said, sort of has different grief um, mm. experiences in their life. Is there something that you might suggest to listeners to lean more into that self-compassion and kindness mm. on their path? Yeah, definitely. And 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 to just be okay to reach out for help and to say I'm not okay and not everyone will listen Mm -hmm. but there will be people who will listen and 
just find those people and it is an up and down and and also to do things that that feel good or feel helpful I think I talk about that you know we all do things differently um my sister came to show me one day she'd got one of my dad's shirts and she had somebody make the shirt into a, a little pillow that she sleeps with. And I completely freaked out when I saw it. I said, that is just so weird and gross. Like, you know, like, like, like a half a bit of body. I don't know. It was just weird. But she finds it comforting. And I think we all, we all do things differently. We all find things that are helpful. I think anniversaries are really hard it's it's good to have little rituals I put that in the book I think it's good to honor um, those moments whether some religions make make room for that but it doesn't have to be part of religion it, it could just be anything that that feels that feels helpful that that eases eases those moments but anniversaries are really difficult birth other celebrations times where one really misses having um having that person I mean I even recently went to a family event and the whole family were dancing together and I sort of got all teary and, and sort of moved away and I moved to like one side of the room and it's so funny I saw my sister and we sort of looked at each other both in tears and it was as if you know that moment was hard for both of us and I guess, you know, we had a bit of a hug and a cry and the next thing we were, you know, back on the dance floor and everything was good. So I think you just got to go with it. It is hard. Nothing easy about it. Yeah, that's really beautiful and and really affirming for anyone who is having those moments of struggles too, that there isn't anything easy about it, even from someone who is Mm -hmm. trained, like we're we're not doing things wrong when it's hard. It's part of the process. Mm -hmm. And that even in these moments of joy, there can be sorrow. Exactly. Where can listeners find you, Lisa? Where can listeners connect with your wisdom? I mean, on the pages of when the lights go out and this will all be linked in the show notes, listeners, in case you are driving right now, but where else can, um, can people soak up your wisdom? Well, I do have my Facebook under Dr. Lisa Meyer, psychiatrist, and my Instagram. So I try and post regularly, gets a little bit busy and I, you know, not always so good, but I do try and, you know, often something will happen in a day and I'll just think, yeah, that, that's something good. Um, And then through our website, which is awarehub.com.au and our shop, we do have, um, we do have the book available and listeners can even use a code Lisa five, which will give a discount on it. And that's amazing um, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I hope it, it provides some help and some support and just some normalizing of mental health and the struggles that we all go through and just for everyone to know it's okay like it's part of life and sometimes it's harder than others and and those are the times we maybe need a bit more help and you know as I say to people do what works if that's medication if that's therapy if that's yoga if that's reading if that's gym whatever works 
and just be flexible and kind because we're humans, you know, we have our ups and downs and um, and get good support and have good people in your life. That's a beautiful note to finish on. Listeners, do what works. <laughs> Soak it up with the good do people in works. your life. You do what works. I love that. Do what works. <laughs> Keep it flexible. You know, sometimes one thing helps and then we have to change it up. Yeah. So responding to what's in front of you, what's kind of going on for you right now. Thank you so much, Dr. Lisa Myers. We so appreciate your wisdom. Thanks for having me. I hope that you found that interview with Lisa as powerful as I did, you know, her ability to share you know, to talk us through her experiences of being human, the suffering that unfolds in a life that from the outside might seem like it is all together, I think is really powerful, normalizing and healing. And her book, When the Light Goes Out, it's it's beautifully written. I highly recommend reading it for um, for the connection she offers in there, as well as the words of wisdom in navigating your mental health journey. I also think it's really powerful that she recognizes the privilege of therapy, of resources, of support, because we know that at different times we have different degrees of accessibility. So with that in mind, considering her suggestions around writing, sharing with safe people. And this is always a barometer. I recommend to people, you know, make sure you figure out who your safe people to share are being vulnerable in a space that isn't safe is not wise action. It's not necessarily going to support us in our healing journey. So figure out who your safe people are, who you can share with, work with, whether it is in groups, there's lots of groups that individuals might connect having had shared experiences and work through and process, as well as if you have the opportunity for one-on-one work or um, yeah, really skillful connecting friends and family. Always know that if you need to, you know, there are helplines that you can connect to and resources when things are feeling really pointy and pressured, you know, lifeline in South Australia, where I'm at, there is a mental health triage service. You can reach out to those services as well as attend your hospital, um, your local ED at different points in time, as you might need to, to take care of yourself without further, um, I guess I do here. I will, I will wrap up for today. I feel like I could spend a lot of time reflecting on what Lisa has said, but it's written beautifully, as I said, and when the lights go out and we'll have links to that in the show notes, as well as her um, mental health practice that she has in Bondi Junction for those of you who might be fortunate to be located in the area. As always, any further episode ideas, suggestions, this one was one that was suggested by a listener on Instagram, please send them to me and we'll make, we'll make it happen. Wisdom for all being is about providing wisdom and resources to you. So please let me know what you need. And if we haven't already connected on the socials, I'm at Dr. Caitlin. I would love to see you there. And if you have a moment, please, please, please leave a podcast review wherever you're listening to this. It really helps in spreading the word to others, making sure others can access mental health resources that are evidence-based, even if not in a clinical format. All right. Have a wonderful afternoon, evening, and I'll drop back into your earbuds next week. Bye for now.
Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.